smoking was a, a thing I did in my vehicle, which was is even grosser retrospectively. Yeah, well, so that was definitely my takeaway from it when I when I when I did quit smoking. I mean, I had no concept of how invasive it was to everyone uh, else. Yeah, absolutely yeah. zero, and I don't think it was from uh, a selfish perspective. Uh, I mean. I thought I was being considerate most of the time when I smoked. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just didn't realize how pervasive it, it, it re- how overwhelming it really was. Like uh, Rich and I were at some, we were out scouting last week for Tasha Trail and ended up in Jacksboro one night at some no-tell motel trying to stay ahead of the thunderstorms. And, uh, the the lady in the room next to ours we were we were sitting out on the front porch watching the storms come in drinking beer eating pizza sort of thing and the lady next door would step out on her doorway and smoke a cigarette about every 10 minutes (laughs) and it was like that is so rank it is and you remember like when we were kids and they had smoking sections and non-smoking sections in restaurants and they would be like literally one table over. Be like, you can't smoke here, but you can smoke. Well, right yeah, there. and I'm so old that they didn't even segregate uh, when I was a kid. But when they started segregating, it was like three quarters were smoking yeah. and one quarter was non-smoking, yeah. sort of thing. Let's roll some music here, and then we'll start talking for real. Okay. Get it. everyone welcome to another edition of shiftless ah we don't know what we're talking about today it's slinging stuff up against the wall day but we're live and in person and looking deep into chef brad green's gorgeous eyes just happy to be here you betcha better than the alternative is the way i look at it but uh you know what i bet there's a greater than zero chance we're gonna find something if not to entertain the listeners to at least entertain ourselves this morning (laughs) sipping on an excellent cup of coffee courtesy of chef brad thank you sir well you know it's it's nothing fancy but it does what coffee's supposed to do on the plus side of the meter yeah so that's a above average is always a treat and this is well be be uh beyond average Got some pretty dogs hanging out with us. Hey, sweet pie. Luna. Luna Bell. So, the first thing, I, I do want to talk to you about um, Unbound. Did you watch some of the coverage from that? Did you see some of the pictures? Uh, saw some pictures, saw some feedback. I mean, obviously, it was um, probably the biggest storm year in since 2011, at least. Yeah. From everything I could tell. Uh, it's questionable... Um, I think 2011 might have been worse when it actually hit. Hail and tornadoes. But this one was bad because it was bad from the get-go and and before. So 2011 didn't hit until well after a lot of people had bailed out. Yeah. And I was one of those that had bailed out that year. I think the attrition rate was, was probably equally as high this year, though. 
Um, Caleb sent me a picture. I didn't realize until later that it was at like mile 11 and it was just people walking as far as you could see. And the majority of them were off the road. Um, and then I saw a picture yesterday of one of the motorcycles that was doing video yeah. coverage just yeah. stuck yeah. Didn't, didn't even have to put the kickstand down <laughs> just but I, I was like that that looks like that was almost intentional like what did they think the alternative was did they think they were gonna somehow walk that through that shin deep mud that motorcycle my my guess on that was that was probably uh somebody from the press slash journalism side that was just trying to follow the pros sort of thing and they didn't they didn't know what they were up against (laughs) sort could be wrong or some you know somebody that was local that got paid a lot of money to take the bike and try to keep up with the pros or well a lot of money it's the bicycle industry there's not a lot of money to go around in general a lot of money relatively relatively (laughs) relatively speaking uh, it's 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 uh, it's so funny. Uh, people think there's just so much sponsorship money out there floating around, and cash is everywhere if you're a pro or a promoter or or have anything. And it's it's actually compared to most industries out there, the cycling industry just that they don't. If 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 you're able to get two hundred dollars in cash from an, an international level sponsor, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. In the cycling world, most frankly. of them just float your product, right? If that, yeah. A lot a, a lot of the time, you know what the pro deal is for you to be the pro rider for a bike brand. A lot of the time, now, world class tour riders, no, but. Right. Uh, your, your influencers, your state-level regional pros and things like that, their deal is to get a bike at cost. Yeah. So, hey, you get a $5,000 bike for $3,000 or whatever. But you can do that just working in a shop. Basically. That's why. That's I mean, that's the main reason I worked in shops for so many years. <laughs> I mean, I love I love the bike shop atmosphere. It's, it's There's something so like, uh, I don't know, clubhouse feel about it, you know. We've all walked into that bike shop where you're just like, man, it's such a good vibe in here. You know, and everybody's, you know, there's inside jokes, there's jabs, there's, you know, they've got yeah, cool products sitting around. That's going away quickly, though. I know. That's, that's, a, that's a dying breed right there. That's the other reason to support your local bike shop. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I, I, I don't want this to turn into a, a, a sponsorship program by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. But... Um, you know, anybody that follows us knows knows who our main bike shop connection has been for a very long time. Not that we're against working with others, but the, the one we work with the most often, it's, I mean, we just take care of each other is what it boils down to. There's no huge checks being written or any, anything like that. And we're supportive of that shop. We're supportive of all the shops. It's a tough business. No, no ifs, ands, or yeah. buts about it. But I'll be honest with you, I think it's incredibly integral and the current cycling customer base i think doesn't recognize that like they should i think it's a i think it's a really it's a much broader mix than it's ever been before you know with the internet you know just the availability of parts without thumbing through a a paper catalog and 
you know, the, the days of old. But not only that, just make as much noise as you need to. Hey, now, now you know what I've been dealing with for the past <laughs> several weeks. But I, I think that you also have a, a, a really wide mix of people that are mechanically inclined and not mechanically inclined. You know, I think a lot of bike shops are probably in business because people don't even know what to order because of what you and I've talked yeah. about before. Uh, how I, mean, I can't keep up with puzzling it. all the standards are. Oh my God! Um, you know, we were talking about UDH or is mm-hmm. it UHD? I think we figured out UDH, UDH. Universal Derailleur Hanger. hanger. Mm-hmm. We were talking about that a few episodes back, and lo and behold, Shimano came out with their patent oh, last did, week. Did they really? They've, they've got some sort of variant. Mm. But I'm not techno geek enough to look at it and go, well, this is how it's different than the SRAM one. And so, But there are more components to it. Like one of the components is theirs is being built to accept power input from a generator hub, not just a rear wheel generator hub, basically to, I guess, keep the electronic shifting always powered up so you don't have to charge the batteries. And so what now, whether- Is that it, an e-bike thing? No, no, no it's just like, just like a SON hub on a bike packing rig on the front, they're gonna do that in the rear wheel. And so this, this rear hanger has an electrical input built into it wow. sort of thing. So that you, you can hang the external battery uh, on that hanger for the electronic shifting, but it's also a realistic expectation that you know you'll probably be able to charge devices and lights and stuff. I haven't, like that. I haven't it's, seen that. It just I mean it just I'm, literally came out in the last couple of days. I think I'm it was on, I think it was on Bike Rumor. I do have a um, a a line in with a Shimano spokesperson and a SRAM spokesperson. Very cool. To get them lined up for the podcast. Um, I don't know how much we'll be able to talk to either one of them about. You know, I'm sure they're, they're going to be very tight-lipped, but we can at least talk about their perspective of the ev- talk- evolution of cycling sure. and where they see it going. We can and, talk theory at least. Yeah. You know, so. Man, the bugs are loving your back porch today. Man, it's, you know, once again, we've been blessed with this incredible spring. I went to North Shore last night uh, just to hang with the boys because I miss them. Uh, my knee is wrecked right now, um, and I don't know what I did. I was climbing, went to do a move, and it just felt like somebody banjo-plucked my tendon on the side of my my knee, mm. and it's not happy. But anyways, I went to hang out with the boys and have my weekly therapy session, and uh, North Shore didn't get a drop. So we got, like I said, almost an inch here, uh, 0.84 inches in a matter of like 20, 25 minutes. So pretty wild. But that's part of the, why the bugs are so happy over here. It's, everything's so green and lush, and it's not 150 degrees yet. Not you know? quite yet. I think, so. I, I think it's trying to get that. Well, I think it's going to try to throw some Florida, Louisiana on us. Yeah. Uh, in the coming weeks is what's going to... I think we're going to have that 95 degrees with 98% humidity thing going on. I love it. I love it. My wife as well. I hate it. I hate it. Reminds me of my childhood. Give me give me, <laughs> give me, give me, that dry desert air, please. Uh. Oh, along those lines. And what whatever I was hearing in the back, I'm assuming that was a bug 
chittering away uh, a minute ago. But uh, Rich and I, when we were traveling last week, we were finishing out the uh, bicycle verification of our, our Tasha Heritage Trail. And that when I was hearing that... Uh, oh, lucky. <laughs> when I was hearing that bug a minute ago, it reminded me of it. Then one stretch that we did, uh, we were on this... Uh, are you familiar with Langtree, Texas? Mm -mm. Judge Roy Bean, mm -hmm. Law West of the. So that's where Judge Roy Bean was, was, was okay. Langtree. So it's Highway 90, just above the Rio Grande, but just just south of there is, a, is an area called Eagle's Nest. It's, a, it's this huge overlook of the Rio Grande, big cliffside overlook. So Rich and I went out there to check it out, and an amazing little spot on earth, no doubt about it. But, oh, my God, the rattlesnakes were so thick there. Oh, I had wow. never been around. that. Do you have your boots on? Did not have my boots Damn, on. Did it, you feel naked? In a way, yeah. <laughs> so, it, I mean, it was a rocky area, mm -hmm. and we never saw a single snake because it was middle afternoon. It was hot. Um, and so there would be a cactus here, a yucca there, a little clump of grass there. And, I mean, I think we had to walk like a quarter mile from where we parked the car and down to the edge. And it's, it's just wide open, rocky double track with those little vegetation pop-ups here and there. But every single one of them, as you'd walk up to it, zing! Really? Literally surrounded by dozens, if not hundreds of rattlesnakes. Jeez. And they were all pissed off, didn't want us there at all. How and, on edge were you? You know, usually I'm okay with that stuff because it's like, you know, if you can hear them and if you can see where you're stepping, it's not a big deal, sure. generally speaking. But they were just so thick there. It's like, you know, I could step over this crack in the ledge here mm -hmm. and think I'm stepping down and there's actually, uh, you know, a cutout underneath it right. sort of thing. And maybe there's a sleepy one there that's not zinging at the mm. moment. So uh, we were... There, there's some of that noise in the background. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's some, so uh, it was it was fascinating. Uh, it was a little intimidating. It was. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. Like I said, usually, you know, I mean, I'm not one of those. You know, I don't pull a Larson and grab a snake and kiss it or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, but I don't let them bother me a whole lot, and that's part of why I do wear the snake boots when I'm marking course or doing yeah. whatever. That way, I don't even have to think about it. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, but this one had to be very cognizant of it. And Rich was with me. and How was he? Well, so he's, you know, talking. You know, I think we have an ongoing theme of ageism around here. Mm -hmm. um, he's, at the, he's not deaf, but he's at that point where he's that much older where, you know, what they say, what, what do they do? They do, do in a certain frequency. Mm-hmm. That the kids can hear to chase mm -hmm. them off from loitering at spots, but adults can't hear it sort of thing, so it doesn't bother us. Yeah. The higher frequencies as you get older start to go away. He couldn't hear those rattlesnakes. They were zinging so hard, so they were at that higher frequency. So I had to walk in front of him and point here, point there, point as <laughs> as. Shit. So he so I I'm at least hearing them, and Rich is having to depend on me to point ah. out where they are. That sucks. I'd, yeah, I'd never been around anything like that. That was a... Uh, Did he tell you that the amount of stuff that he doesn't know about snakes could <laughs> fill up a book? <laughs> oh, goodness. That's crazy that he can't, couldn't hear them and they're everywhere. 
That's what I was wondering. I was, I was literally before you said that. I was thinking, like, can you imagine me in deaf and just walking through the desert? You can see everything, but you have no idea that yeah. all of this anger and activities around you. Well, and the re- I mean, the reality of it is, and those are the ones we heard. Yeah. So if there's two dozen that are zinging, yeah. there could be another three dozen that that aren't making any noise, or maybe I'm old enough that the ones that are even more pissed off and zinging at a higher frequency, I'm not hearing, you know? So that, that was, it was like, I've only seen a handful of rattlesnakes in, in real life. Yeah. Um, and most of them have been pygmy rattlers. You know, I don't think, I can't remember if I've ever even seen a, like a Western diamondback or an Eastern diamondback. Um, I've seen plenty of cotton mouse and copperheads. We, I'm more concerned. I'm more concerned about water moccasins than I am about rattlesnakes. Those are the most evil snakes in the world. I'm not. I'm not a fan. They will chase you. Um, when Jervicki still lived here, we went on a, a, a ramble one one time, and there was we were right next to the creek. So there's a, a steep drop off, probably you know 15, 20 feet, and there's a you know two foot diameter tree laid across. And we're just tooling through, and I go to step over and commit. And when I went to step down, there's a freaking water moccasin right there. And Jervicki's right behind me, and I squeal like a little girl and jump back and almost, you know, in his arms. And this snake was just as scared of me as I was sure, of it. Sure, sure. And it just right into the water. And I was like, I had to sit here and get my breath for a second. I mean, I almost stepped on it, you know? And we're in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, I need to be a little bit more thoughtful about where I'm putting my feet blindly. So it was a, a good learning lesson, but that's probably my closest encounter that I'm aware of with a snake while I was on a bike. Uh, I, I, had a, uh, I had a similar wake-up call. It wasn't on the bike, but it was when I was trail steward at Knob. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, you know, Knob... It's just ridiculous for water moccasins. Oh, yeah, for sure. But it's ridiculous for snakes in general. Yeah. And I think Foster was with me. And we were doing some trail work or something or scout, you know, scouting for trail work. Going along the fishing trail stuff there, looking at stuff. And, and I stepped over a down tree and went up. I think I was going up to a spot, and it's like, oh, the trail petered out there, probably where somebody took a dump coming off the fishing trail or yeah. whatever. Turn around and come back and start start to walk, step over the the log again, and Foster's just got this look on his face like I'm a complete idiot. And I'm, I'm He does that really well. <laughs> he does that really well. <laughs> he has that look on lock. <laughs> Particularly when he's looking at me. Mm. But... As I'm stepping over, I just get this look. It's like, what's up? He said, you sure are brave. Like, what are you talking about? Well, that snake you keep stepping over. And I look down, just the biggest, fattest water moccasin you ever saw in your life. It's right under the the, the edge mm. of that that uh, that down tree, that log. Mm. I'm like, that was not my plan. I really wish you would have said something sooner. Yeah. Yeah, God. but that was my wake up. Then from that point on, I was I was I think I went out and got my snake chaps after that. Yeah, and been I'm just whenever I'm doing stuff, 
because it's like because when I get if I get focused on something, I may not pay attention to what's yeah. under my foot at a certain point. Yeah, I I find myself in the same boat, but I I've also made a way more conscious effort to be cognizant of what's around me when when I'm in situations like that. But I did the same thing at Knob Hills, not stepping over a tree or anything, but Harnish and I were down there scouting for cleanup when the trail was about ready to be opened again after one of the floods that we had. And we're riding and we get to a certain point point, we start to turn around because it's getting dark or whatever. And him and I are walking and he goes, hey, hey, go this way. And I'm like, what? I look down, there's a moccasin like two feet from me. Curled up, strike position, angry. And I, I didn't even see it. You know, yep. if, it, if it wouldn't have been for harness, I probably I might might have gotten bitten. And I was just like, what the hell am I doing? You know, I can honestly say. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know anyone and I don't think I know of anyone that has actually ever been bitten by a water moccasin. Oh, that definitely happens. But I think, um, you know, as with most snakes, um, I think a lot of snakes, you can walk right by them, and as long as you're not messing with them, you're probably okay. That's the vast majority. Yeah. No ifs, ands, or buts about and, it. And there's no telling how many times that's happened to me. Right. Because I've been traipsing through the woods in so many remote locations. Huh. I, have, I have zero doubts that I've stepped over on yeah. next to plenty of snakes. Um, and we always make this running joke, and I don't know what the credibility of it is, but... Um, I've always heard some variation of you don't want to be the third person because the first person wakes it up, the second person pisses it off, and then the third person is the one that gets dealt with. So that there is some truth to that, I believe. Mm-hmm. The closest I, um, I did, uh, I did have a rattlesnake strike at me one time. Well, I should say strike at my bike one time. At Johnson Branch, mm-hmm. and I wasn't the third bike in line, but it was the third wheel. Mm. Uh, there was a guy in front of me, and as he's going by, he said, and we just happened to be riding at the same place at the same. We weren't riding together per se. Yeah, more than likely he had just passed me. That'd be the most realistic scenario. And um, goes around. It's a a grassy area mm-hmm. and he goes around a turn and he looks down and says, says something like snake or rattler or something like yeah. that and I heard a little bit of a tick 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 and then as my front wheel goes so his first front wheel goes by his rear wheel goes by and then as my front wheel goes by you see the strike out but right back I mean where literally I guess it was going for my front wheel, but that was going faster than it was expected. So it didn't hit anything, but it went basically went right under my feet. Yeah. I mean, I doubt it would have been able to get up to me regardless, but that's the only time I've been. It's still scary as hell. It was weird. Yeah. No doubt about it. Um, But I mean, it's like, it's like they say, I mean, the, you can't be, you can't ignore the possibilities of snakes that's, right. that's for certain but the vast majority of people that get bitten by snakes 
are asking for it. They're doing something stupid with the snake. Yeah. Nine times out of ten. Yeah. I'm, and I'm not going to name any names <laughs> al along those lines. But, I mean, I've ridden past uh, uh, just the number of snakes that I know that I've seen that I've ridden past are probably pushing a dozen, you know. <laughs> and I'm talking about venomous snakes, not, sure. not uh, you know, little grass snakes and stuff. I mean, I've seen hundreds of grass snakes. But... Um, water moccasins at uh, RCP back in the day. I mean, I rode past one that was on the south side that was, I mean, couldn't have been any more on the edge of the trail. And it was all coiled up, so I have no idea how big it was, but it was not a little snake. Right. And it was same thing, coiled, ready to go. And I was, you know, back in the day, I was screaming on that trail, just, you know, afterburners on the whole time, pushing as hard as I could. And I come around, and by the time I saw it, it's by the time I it had even time to process it, it's already like right next to me. <clears throat> and all I could do at that point was just squeal. <laughs> I mean, just I, I don't know why I'm. I, I pretend to be such a tough guy, but when faced with deep-seated fears like snakes in a quick reaction, I don't know why, but I always resort, resort to this high-pitched squeal <laughs> I, <laughs> to I'd the love... point it surprises me too <laughs> i mean it's just i guess it's just the way i built <laughs> but maybe <laughs> <laughs> but i've done that numerous times and i've i've ran over copperheads probably three or four times just because you see them at the very last second and there's no time to react and you know the last thing you want to do is try to slam on your brakes and then stop on top of them, yeah. you know, yeah. and now you've either ran over them or, or touched them or, you know, at the very least, you're way more in their proximity and, and just now they're angry. Gen I mean, generally speaking, the copperheads are, they're just usually so passive. You, yeah. you really have to do something. Oh, yeah, you have to corner them pretty yeah. much. Yeah, uh, but they're so thick where yeah. they are, like R RCP River Legacy. Oh my gosh! They're just—you can't, you can't, you can't look at the base of it. Are they bad here too? Oh my God! Yeah. <clears throat> the uh, we have, and every time I, I killed a copperhead, like maybe a week ago, um, and it's the first time in years that I've actually killed one on this property that there hasn't been another one around. Um, one night we were working on the travel all, and. I heard something from behind the AC unit and this copperhead comes just crawling out and I told Gage I said bird dog him I'm gonna go get my spade so I come over here dispatch put it in the in the dump dump bin walk back by the time I get back there's another one yeah and dispatch throw it away and not even five minutes later there's another one so it was three in a row probably in a matter of maybe 10 minutes and i was like jeez i don't and they were i guess they were all relative size but uh, i usually when i come across them i i let them be or i i chase them off the road yeah. or whatever but man if it's yeah if it's on my property and my dogs are at risk it's that's the only thing yeah like, like my kids aren't going to mess with them but my dogs you know, I can't I can't be with my dogs every minute. Right. And they have free reign of the property, and that's my biggest fear is them getting bitten in the face or you know. And the only reason I saw the the one I did a week ago is I was out with Lucy at night, and 
she was sniffing around the tire of my truck, which is something she does never do. And then she did the the quick pullback, and I was like, "What, Lucy? Back over here!" And she got back, and I shined my light, and sure enough, there's a copperhead underneath the tire of my truck. Yeah. And so, same thing. I went in and got my my spade, my my faithful spade. Yeah, that's the yeah. That's the thing about the copperheads. It's just the the volume. Yeah. <laughs> it really, it's 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 really they're prolific breeders. Something, something. Mm. But uh, yeah, I I'm one of those. I'd almost I'd I'd almost rather have the snakes than than the vermin myself. I am not a fan of rats and mice. Yeah. I get rats, mice, and cockroaches. <laughs> that gets disgusting. Yeah. What about? Um, I just looked up and saw a cicada shell. Is it going to have c- cicadas this summer? I don't. I don't know. I, I don't understand how that whole thing works. But that brings us back to copperheads. I've often heard that copperheads will sit at the base of trees and wait for the cicadas to come out. And Is that eat, what they're doing? And eat them. I've heard that. I've never heard those, that before. One of those rumors I've heard a, a bunch of times, and I've never taken You're going to make us get a herpetologist on here, aren't you? That would be a lot of fun. That actually would be kind of interesting. Um, but I've heard that a bunch of times, but I've never like spent the time to Google it and see if it's true or not. And the same thing with you know snakes traveling in twos. I I can only tell you anecdotally that I've seen, I've seen it numerous times on this property, um, but I don't know anything about the cicada correlation between copperheads i mean i have definitely always been curious why the copperheads hang out at the base of trees like they do right that's that's what i've heard so many times but Uh, it makes sense if you're an idiot like us it does anyway yeah so i mean it's it's enough for me to just say okay that makes sense and move on instead of contemplating it forever (laughs) so did going back to Unbound because you had touched on this? Mm-hmm. Have and bear with me. I need to look this up. This is. Had you heard anything? There's a guy that posted on one of our threads about Peter. I want to talk about Peter too. I, I want to. I want to, from an organizer standpoint, I need. I have questions about why his finish isn't official. And what the purpose of doing that is, and that, like, it doesn't matter to me that he, you know, felt. Obviously, they have to quit supporting the race at some point. Right. You know, the the promoters have to take down the finish line, and you know, all of that stuff, and 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 you know, boost, disperse, you know, all that stuff, but. Why couldn't you still recognize his official finish time? That that almost seems counter to the spirit of the whole event. Just like you mentioned in one of your posts about the spirit of gravel and stuff. I, I don't understand what the purpose of them making a big point about it's it wasn't an official finish. And I don't you know, know. I don't. Did they make a big point about that? Well, I mean, why is it even? worth mentioning why why is it why is it a thing i mean the son of a bitch rode 350 miles i don't care if it took him four days you know you still say hey he finished you know uh 
Well, you, you asked from a promoter's perspective, and sure. I mean, you 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 touch you touched on most of it there. Mm -hmm. Like, well, um, what's uh, man? I'm having a brain fart. Uh, what what's our um, what's our big Arkansas mountain bike uh, weekend? We we had always done for years the uh, Watchtall Challenge. Yeah, Watchtall Challenge. Uh huh. OC. I mean, they've got cutoff times. Yeah, but they have checkpoint cutoff times to prevent you from ending up at the end. Okay. Way past. But you're not. So if you don't make checkpoint cutoff, you can't continue. You can't continue. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to get to the end. Sure. So is there anything to prevent you from just riding anyway and logging an official finish or an uno unofficial? Or, yeah, I see what you're saying. It's. I, it's from from an from a promoter's standpoint, you you know you have to draw a line somewhere. Is the simplistic answer to it? I on a case by case, event by event, participant by participant uh, basis. Do you want to acknowledge them? That, hey, that's that's each promoter's call on on that. Uh, the participants themselves, when they sign up, they know that. Well, here's your cutoff time. If you're not here by yeah. this time, hey, great effort, but you're not going to show on the official roster. I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I, like, took it borderline personal because it's Raj Connie, but I, I don't know if, like, it's hard for me to be, to consider it irrespective of who it is because of who it is. Like, if it was just somebody that I didn't know their name, didn't know them, maybe I would think about it differently, but... I still think, you know, the guy pedaled through the night, endured, you know, probably twice as much as the guy that finished first in that length, you know. He should but, at least get acknowledged as an official finisher, you maybe, know. Maybe. I'm not, I'm not discounting that, but again, looking at it with my promoter's eyes. Yeah. Um, I know you've, you've dealt with the same thing, with the same person, you know. I get it. And, and I'm just, that's why I asked that, kind of. And, and that's kind of the direction I was I was going. So it's one thing as a promoter for, for me to pack up and head out mm -hmm. knowing Peter's out there. Yeah. I know what he's capable of. Sure. As a promoter, it, if I give a tacit approval of, well, just show up whenever you get done. Yeah. And we'll acknowledge it after the fact. I am opening the door to a lot of people going out there and doing that or attempting it that have no business going out there yeah, but and doing that and attempting it. And whereas I'm confident that Peter's going to take care of himself and not do something completely stupid out there, if, if I... I mean, we already run into it with people that are trying to do their first 50 miles, their first 100 miles, sure. and, 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 and things like that. But Unbound XL is a different animal altogether. Like, you have to, you have to submit. You have to have qualifying. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm, su I'm surprised Peter got in. But, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's like a, almost like a randoneering thing. Like you, but it's not. No. No, but, I mean... That, I'm just saying they you can't just show up and sign up for the XL. Again, that's my point. I was surprised Peter qualified. Yeah. Well, not not on his lack of tenacity. Yeah. 
I just assumed he wasn't fast enough to fit their qualifications. Yeah. Well, I don't, but I don't know what their qualification criteria that is. That would be that would be interesting to know, because I don't know I don't know that I've ever seen any, you know, specifics put down either. But I yeah I, did, I yeah so I don't I don't want anything I'm saying here to come across as judgmental of Peter yeah. or or the Unbound organizers or anything like that. My impression was that uh, Unbound XL. It used to be invitation only, I believe. I think you could submit for it, and they review. And then they turn it into an invitation yeah, sort of and thing. Basically, you, you have to give them a resume, you know, of here's rides I've done. And I don't know if they have certain qualifying rides. Like, like if you've done this, then, you know, this, this, and this, then you will be considered... I don't know how that works exactly. I, yeah, I, I don't know what their criteria are, and yeah. so that's what, that's what I'm trying to say. And I'm not. I do know somebody that would know though. Our buddy Shannon. Shannon was signed up for XL last year or the year before. I can't remember, and I, I, I honestly don't remember why he did not go. Something about. Yeah, I don't. I don't even remember, but I know that he got in, got a spot. And I'll have to ask him what the criteria was, or what the even what the entrance process was. Right. But that's why I I I don't want to assume anything mm-hmm. along those lines. And um, and again, I don't want to take anything away from Peter at no. all. It, it, it was it was a hell of an accomplishment, but it was an accomplishment under the after the known cutoff time. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just being like really sensitive about it because I, I, I just think that the guy should get an official finish time. You know, I not that it really matters. And that's that's my. I think he. I think he got more accolades and appreciation for his unofficial finish yeah. than he would have for ju- if, <clears throat> even if he would have made cutoff. D- okay, somebody made cutoff DFL. Who is that? Oh, I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> point made. Yeah. I honestly don't even know who won the XL, period. Again, point yeah. made. Yeah. So. Um, I did see Dan Hughes uh, and his wife won uh, on a tandem. I don't know if they won their class or, or what, but I saw them finish. And it was pretty impressive. And that's, so that's, and that's where uh, I – I mean, obviously, every event's different. Every promoter's different. Yeah. Every race director's different. Um, I tend to not focus so much on the competitive aspect of things myself. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, the way I look at it is competitive people are going to compete. Yeah. They can race each other and yeah. sort out who's at the top of the Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll log an official time and so yeah. forth. We'll do a podium, but I'll be honest with you. I don't. I you know. I don't keep track of who won what, who was the leader in what age group, or in my in my own events. Not that it's 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 a worthwhile accomplishment. I'm not diminishing that at all. Right. But I, I focus more on the overall experience for everybody. Yeah. Sort of thing, and the way I look at it, if if competition is important to you. 
you're going to know where you stacked up against sure. other people that it's competitive sure. where competition's a big deal as well well i mean it, it's a big deal for everybody that's out there i i don't think anybody goes out and does i mean even the the 36 mile route that spinistry puts on you know i don't think anybody goes out and completes that and goes eh, no big deal it's a big deal for everybody that does it, you know? I, I, I think the accomplishment is, I don't know that the competitive, at, where I placed in, in relation to other right. people, I don't think the vast majority of people that show up, they don't care about that right, at all. Right, right, the, the guys that are in the top 10 are the people that care about it, and are the guys that aspired to be in the top 10 and just barely missed it. But, I mean, it's, you know, like, uh, like, um, tubes you talk about racing rallies you know you can have a, a bike event that's a rally that has literally no timekeeping and there sure. will still be racers at the front that's my point yeah and those those folks are keeping track of yeah. who who yeah. finished ahead of whom right in our group of people that are yeah. are racing the peach pedal or whatever yeah. else yeah um but in turn it goes the other way as well and this is where i'll get frustrated where we'll put on a non-compet labeled non-competitive mm -hmm. beginner group or the a shorter route or whatever else and we'll charge a lower price for it because it's not a race because you're not timekeeping we used to we st used to still publish the times mm -hmm. for those non-competitive groups just for reference purposes training purposes yeah but we'd have people that are posting all over social media oh i won the 50 miler well, you didn't win anything. You didn't win shit. <laughs> it's a, that's a non-competitive event. Yeah. You're you're racing people that weren't competitive. Right, right, They weren't right, trying right. to beat you, and the people that would have been trying to beat you were racing for 75 miles. Yeah. yeah. If you want to race, yeah. sign up for the race right. sort of thing. And That's kind of like racing the tour back in the day yeah, at yeah. Watchdog Challenge. Yes, yeah. very much so. Yeah. Now, if you want, hey, if you, if you want to broadcast your accomplishment of doubling up yeah. and doing both the race and the tour that's yeah. a heck of an accomplishment yeah. uh if if it's your first time going out there and you do the tour in I, don't, I can't even remember what the times were under eight hours or whatever it was and you want to say hey i, I you know i did that under eight hours fantastic yeah but to say you no you didn't win the tour because the folks that were racing I won the tour one year. I'm sure you did. Single speed. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Single speed, backwards hat. I think it was like, I can't remember, like five hours and 40 minutes or something. That was back when I used to ride a bike. But where where I started to go mm -hmm. that I never got to, when I was talking about that comment on Peter's post, somebody posted something about a Florida TikToker at Unbound that bailed at the 20-mile mark, came back on at 160 and, and finished the event sort of thing and tried to... But the link... I, they, I, I haven't found anything that corroborated that. I So I'm not, I'm not going to... I was seeing if you had heard anything no. about it. God, that just... I have so many just angry emotions about that it's i do just, too but I, I i'm not sure it's real is yeah. what i'm getting at and if anyone's listening wants to send me an official link on this the the link that was it's one of these uh, so it wasn't a link that was posted it was like uh 
So hold on, let me see if I can find it. Again. Speaking of anybody listening, do we have any? Does do people send you questions or anything? Um, do we have any listener oh, questions? Actually, so that's uh, thanks for the reminder. Mm-hmm. Or where can people send questions? That's uh, so. Or or suggestions for topics or suggestions for guests. Shiftlesslive at gmail dot com. Please send us emails there. Is it spelt just like it sounds? Yeah. Shiftless live, live. Um, at gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason we ask that is we can't keep track of the comments that are posted on the different platforms. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if somebody posts something on on Apple comments i don't see it for, yeah for example uh but there's so many different podcast platforms out there yeah so so we don't we don't see the subscribers and reviews and stuff like that it, that's generally speaking what i'm picking up is kind of the nature of the podcast environment sure sort of thing uh so shiftless live at gmail.com if you have actual comments or suggestions or criticisms right. hey I'm thick-skinned. I can take it. Yeah, burn us. Burn um, us. Uh, if you're wanting to point folks to the podcast, uh, we are available as Shiftless on all the major platforms, but also just go to shiftless.org, and that will just take you directly to our Spotify link at the moment. Someday that may turn into an actual website. But When, uh, when are we going to get some more stickers, by the way? I'm fresh out of stickers. <laughs> I need, some, I need some more stickers. <laughs> Give me some cash. <laughs> I've got some cash. How, how much do stickers cost? Uh, let's see. I think the last batch. I was... got cash burning a hole in my pocket. All right. Well, just just throw down whatever, and I'll match it, and we'll order stickers. Well, I mean, how much how much do we need to to make a decent order? How much do stickers cost? Um, I usually try to wait for the uh, the the on sale bundle of fifty stickers for twenty bucks, sort of thing. How about that? Well, there you go. We'll make that happen. All right. We'll get some more stickers. I need to be. I need some stickers to vandalize. Not kid. Not 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 really. I just need some stickers to hand out. Understood. To Understood. Put in places. I'll order. I'll order another batch when I get home today. Not a problem. I assume you like the shiny ones. I do. <laughs> That's the ADD in me. Ooh, shiny. <laughs> <laughs> I think they both look good. Um, I gave the the last of my stickers to Caleb on his way up to Unbound. Um, speaking of which, I think we're going to be able to line him up to chat to chat next week. I, it's almost like um, you know when you when you have a big game recorded at the house and you don't want to you know you don't want anybody to tell you what the score is. Right, right. You know, I I want to sit down and chat with him and hear all his stories because he said he has a ton of good stories i'm i'm kind of the same way yeah. i've been staying i've been staying i mean i know the generalities mm-hmm. of what what happened over the weekend i think you mean what had happened what <laughs> what had happened was you never heard anybody say that oh that's it's a, a running joke with me and a bunch of my buddies oh. and caleb being one of okay them. okay sorry you, people always say what had happened was and it's just it, it's a southern like nomenclature uh, it is it, it is i guess it's never triggered me like it seems to trigger you i think it's hilarious <laughs> in fact i've said it so many times that i almost can't not say it when i say what happened was i always go what had happened was 
So I'm familiar familiar with what had happened mm -hmm. at Unbound. Does that there work for go. you? There you go. And uh, but just at the very high level, general mm -hmm. basis, uh, I think Peter's part is probably about as detailed as it got. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah I'm familiar with that. I know who won the 200. Yeah. Who? Uh, who? Ke Keegan. Okay. Uh, I believe he won it in a sprint as well. Oh no shit! What you know what time, what his finish time was? No, I saw the. I, I didn't even take it down to that. To, to be honest once, with you, once I saw the conditions. Yeah. Uh, well, I saw the female winner was eleven forty-five. That's freaking. They were screaming. They were still. They were still. I want to say they were an hour, hour and a half off normal times or something like that. Okay, that's fair. Uh, but that's just, I. I don't know. I mean, for the conditions though, to finish sub twelve hours, two hundred sure. miles. That's, sure gigantic i remember years ago like 15 20 years ago debating um with a guy what was his name i can't remember his name but at rbm uh we were talking about and we were just talking about road riding this is before gravel riding even existed we we're talking about sub 12 hour 200 mile solo ride like was it even possible you know and because there wasn't that much information out there right and it was it was it seemed like this ultimate threshold you know uh, not the same but similar to like a four minute mile you know no i, I follow and, exactly what you're saying and now you've got people shattering it on gravel you know with with tremendous elevation well i guess not tremendous i think the 200 mile had like 9600 feet of climbing or something which is not that much. All right. So that's that's something I would really like. This is something I've often wondered about and would like somebody that uh, is really good at the math aspect of these mm -hmm. things to sort out for me. Um, Seven. What? <laughs> Eight? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. So I know, I'm, I know this is going to come across totally idiotic, but uh, bear with me here. Always do. When there's more climbing, mm -hmm. there's more descending. Sure. So the proportion that your average speed goes down going uphill, how does that relate to the proportion of your average speed going So I think you have to average down. your watts over the course. And well, I've, I've often, obviously you do, but the what I'm getting at is the regardless of elevation, most of the time, 100 miles of gravel, the times are usually pretty close. Yeah. And because the downhills where you're screaming downhill at 40 miles an hour mm -hmm. make up for your 10 mile an hour uphills sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, I've often had this debate with numerous people that you know. Like, and not, I mean, not a debate really, just a friendly discussion. Like, would you rather ride 100 miles dead flat yeah. or would you rather ride 100 miles with, you know, 5,000 feet of climbing? And my contention is always, I would rather ride a hilly route because of exactly what you said. Right. There's always payback for climbing that hill. Now, when we get back to what we're talking about point to point, then all bets are off. You know, because you could theoretically have a, a climbing course the whole way. That's just and, uphill the whole yeah, way. Yeah, never yeah. get paid back or the vice versa. You could get have a descending course the whole right. time. But with, with a completely flat course not that that's really possible unless you go down houston area you know um you 
you have to maintain the whole time. You know, in order to, to average whatever, you've got to stay on the pedals the whole time. Well, think about the times we, we rode the net. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, I mean, that's about as flat as you get. Mm -hmm. And then it's, it's a rougher surface. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, you, you could look at the elevation profile and say, well, that's an easy ride. But it's not. It's not. Because yeah. you, you are you are pedaling with resistance the whole mm -hmm. time. You have no choice. Yeah. And and like I said, I've had this discussion so many times. I mean, the, the thing is, people are like, but you've got to climb. Yeah, but you get to rest on the downhill, right. you know. Unless you're riding fixed. That's true. That's true. Um, the only time I ever did hotter than hell, I did it fixed. And... And I did not anticipate the downhills wear you out as much see, as and, the uphills. See, and now your knees are paying for it. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't know if I attribute that to that. But. The 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 two or three times I tried riding fix, it's like, yeah, this does not agree with my knees. I'm not doing this anymore. There's a distinct learning curve, um, but I don't know. I never really got thick thick into it um you know it was just kind of taking single speed to the next level um Ta know, taking the kink to that next level yeah our our buddy chaos uh ended up going fixed mountain bike which is i can't even comprehend and he would ride with us at north shore and i mean when he first started he was slow as heck and then I don't know, four or five months maybe in, he was keeping up with us on a fixed. And I was like, dude, I went to Single Speed Worlds and one of the guys that lived right next, to, or was staying right next to us, some guy out of Tennessee, a little bitty guy, was riding fixed in only a front brake in Durango. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking, there was some crazy terrain out there. And I'm like, this guy's riding fixed. And only a front brake. That's just, it, I, I just couldn't comprehend it. I was like, big ups to you, you know. Not my bag. Not my tempo. Yeah, not for me. But, <clears throat> I, hey, any, anybody that works for, you do you. Yeah. No no, no judgy here. Yeah. No judgy, no whammy. I like, um, the, I mean, like I said, the only time I ever did Hotter Than Hell was fixed, though. And, and my favorite part about that, it was... It's on a 1962 Schwinn Voyager. And so no bottle cages on it, nothing. You know, it's chrome. Mm -hmm. It looks like a, a you know, looks like you would expect it to look. You know, it's lugged and everything. And I just loved it because I would pass these guys. You know you know the people that are at Hotter Than Hell. They'd be on like an $8,000 carbon bike with carbon wheels. and You realize $8,000 carbon bikes cheap these days. These days, yeah. <laughs> And uh, and I would just I, my favorite thing was hey nice bike and just <laughs> keep riding. You're such a troublemaker. I am. I am. It's all in, it's all lighthearted though. But but um, I wanted to do hotter than hell again, but they took out the uh, mile ninety eight beer stop, and I just didn't see the point in doing it after they that. They were very vehement about that. Yeah, what that seems so like against the spirit from what i i got but whatever there's I, probably a lot liability involved there i'm i i am 
certain there is a liability concern in the mix. Some dipshit ruined it for everybody, I'm sure. Maybe. I, I, that part I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna um, take a take a jab at. Um, if nothing else, somebody was very concerned about some dipshit ruining it for everybody and didn't want to take on that risk for whatever. Preemptively, yeah. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. but it could also be one of those things. Something did happen, and we just never heard the backstory on it. That, yeah. That's that's completely certainly a possible possibility. as well. Uh, that is one thing I have definitely learned is that when things like that do happen at the bigger events, you're never going to hear the details yeah. of it. They do they do a pretty good job of of keep keeping that information sequestered from the general population. Yeah. I'm not going to name events. I'm not going to name names, but the one one of the big national level events, somebody I know pretty well, passed away, and I never heard any of the details on that, and it never made any of the local news or anything like that there's always risks in this stuff and going back to the, the peter issue and the timing and things like that and what mm-hmm. i was talking about from the the promoter's perspective there are a lot of people that do this stuff that are biting off more than they can chew sure and i think for a lot of people that's the appeal of events like that you know the hotter than hell is a prime example i mean how many uh, out of the how many thousands of people do they have that show up at that every year? Like I would say, uh, probably being conservative, sixty percent of those people have no business being there. I mean, uh, that, that is their their pinnacle ride of the, the year. No, there's no doubt that that's their big carrot for the year. Yeah. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Yeah. Very well, could be that the expectation of them doing the hundred miles in the cutoff time or whatever mm-hmm. is outside of their skill set but there's mm-hmm. enough of a safety net there that if they don't make the cutoff or whatever sure. else uh, they 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 may be overly ambitious mm-hmm. but they're not putting themselves out uh, be in an unsafe in a true unsafe yeah zone I mean that is that is the closest thing you can do to to having a safety net you know because they have check stations or aid stations like that's every 15 exactly. miles or and something that, and that's why i i am a supporter of of the road rallies in that environment sure uh for people that are trying to extend their range trying yeah. to yeah trying to get up to that next level but yeah. in turn that and we've spoken about it before and it's part of why i'm starting to do these beginner gravel clinics and stuff like that is there are people that are signing up for unbound gravel 200 miler mm-hmm. they've never even ridden gravel at all yet yeah. they, they haven't ridden over 25 miles yet yeah and they they think they're going to go out and do unbound gravel mm-hmm. um or, or it's people they they did the hotter than hell and they're used to all of that support there every 15 miles or whatever it is and Man. 80 sag vehicles what a rude awakening <laughs> well, and that's what i'm saying yeah I, I have people that show up for our events that are unsupported events and they're like what do you mean you don't have sag vehicles and what are you talking about dave <laughs> <laughs> so it's um there there are definitely people that that go outside of their capabilities and when when you and there are and rich and i talked about this a good bit from my perspective 
finding your limits isn't getting to the point where you wreck your body and you can't go any further. Finding your limits is doing something and going, I ain't doing that again. That's, that's where you find, find your limit. So if you go beyond what your actual physical or mental capability really is, mm-hmm. sure, you're going to find your limit in that endeavor. But if you go over the edge, for the vast majority of people, that's a true danger zone. Now, are there people that do have the capability and ability, the, the true adventurous types? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. That's a that's again, we're into a microcosm of the population. Yeah. That's that's yeah. the one percenters there. Yeah. Uh, the reality is you gotta deal for eighty percent of the population. Yeah. You gotta cater to the lowest common denominator. That's not maybe not the lowest common denominator, but you, you, a common denominator. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah dealing, caring for the lowest common denominator, man, that's, come on, you know me. Yeah. Is, 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 is that yeah. my style? <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. But, I mean, I, I do get, you know, you still have to make sure, like, and I, and I get, this brings us back to, I get why there's cutoff times, you know, and I get why they have to say that if you didn't finish by this time, it, it doesn't count because they have to like discourage people from being out there for you know four days you know that's I mean that's that that's exactly the, yeah. there is a I guarantee you there is a huge group of people out there that if if you just if you if you throw unbound XL out there as that 352 miles mm-hmm. as a carrot to pursue regardless of cutoff time you're you're going to end up with actually the majority of the people in that group that have no business being out there over sure. 100 miles let alone 350 sure now that's if you open it up for everyone yeah. if you still have some sort of qualifying requirement yeah. barrier of entry yeah that's where it does get different um, but see, I it, you 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 mentioned Watchdog Challenge before too, but I, that to me is a is a different animal altogether because of how remote it is. Not saying that Kansas isn't remote. Oh, good grief! DKXL is more remote than Watchdog Challenge. But here's the thing: you could drive the whole course, whereas Watchdog Challenge, somebody can be in the middle of the woods, have a broken leg, no way to communicate because cell phone coverage is horrible. And they could spend the night, and they're still on course, you know? Okay. I'm just saying, I think that they're... Could have happened to Peter, too. Sure, but... I get, no, I guarantee yeah. you, there was there was nobody looking for him from... So they don't have a sweep? I wouldn't think so. My yeah. guess is no. I don't know that. Maybe now, they should hire Peter to sweep. I, I call Rich my unofficial sweep whenever yeah. he's out there. Yeah. Now, that said, there is somebody that was... That knows me and Peter that was up that way and sent me a message. Hey, looks like Peter might just be done and peddling in. Do you have mm-hmm. his number? So I, I gave him Peter's number and he met up with Peter out there, checked on him at a convenience store and mm-hmm. posted a picture and Peter was still going. Yeah. Everything was everything was good there. And so I'm sure it was a brief conversation. <laughs> That part of the environment uh, from Wachita 
that would definitely be different. Nobody's yeah. going to just go out to the middle of Blowout Mountain right. and find somebody and check on them. So yeah. I, I, I do get that aspect. But in turn... Well, and Peter was also wearing a, a tracker as well, wasn't he? Because I know that... Oh, I, they did have some sort of track. I don't yeah. know. Was it satellite tracking? Was that required for that? I, I don't know because the the only reason I bring that into to the conversation... Well, that, I mean, that, that's what... Yeah, that's what this person was watching Peter's tracker. Yeah. But, like, we have the tracker for Rat 1000, too. Mm-hmm. But it can be done by cell phone. And there are plenty of spots on the Rat where the cell phone tracking doesn't work. But it'll huh. catch up when you get back in cell service. Or that tracking. makes sense. And I'm 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 certain there's parts of the DK or Unbound XL. I'm still yeah. calling it DK, aren't I? Uh, the Unbound XL that um, don't have. I'm sure there's large areas of that that don't have oh, cell coverage. Oh, I'm sure. I'm so sure. I don't know. I, I mean, just the tracking alone makes it a, a different animal. But and I, I guess I, I I acquiesce. I mean, it's I get it. They have to call it at some point, otherwise you have people and that's all, for that, days on the end. That's all I'm saying. You have to you have to draw a line somewhere. Now, how much? But does Peter have any unofficial finishes at Spinistry events? Sure. Oh, he does. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, and and we we'll do it for that reason. We'll say, hey, the clock turns off at midnight. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll lay it out. If you're not here at midnight, you didn't you, finish. You don't you don't get an official time. Well, yeah. I'm not saying they didn't finish. Right. And I'll and I'll say, hey, also, Peter Rajkani. Now that said, there have been times when I have inserted his finish that was after cutoff. Yeah. Because it doesn't really affect anything. Yeah. Sort of thing, but it's also something. If I don't do that, I don't necessarily. I don't feel bad about it. Yeah. Uh, but that's just me, and yeah. I'm not saying any other promoter should do it the same or differently. Or whatever else, um, and I mean, there's, I'm, there's, there's no doubt that, just from a sanity's perspective, I need to have that component in there, because um, I, I mean, I need to know that I can pack up by midnight at the latest. Yeah. Now, I mean, that's six hours after everyone else finished. Yeah. So you know, I'll take my time loading up the trailer and blah blah blah, but. Um, and I mean, don't get me wrong. If I know there's somebody out there, I still typically what I'll the way we'll do it is hopefully we have some sort of tracking if it's that long of an event or something along those lines. But typically what I'll do is, you know, Foster will stay at the timing area, watch the clock. And then when we get down to the last few riders, I'll go backwards on the on the course and try to find everybody yeah. at that point. And um, so far, that's worked well for us. Now, the the exceptions to that have been Peter, mm-hmm. and Peter, and Peter, and Peter, <laughs> um, and usually, a couple, the couple times that that's been the case, quite frankly, Peter's been known to start events late as well. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes he's had a timing issue. For whatever reasons, but there's been times he started on time. Uh, if he starts an hour after everyone else, mm-hmm. you know, at that at that point, and I think I'm trying to I, I think it was there was some fairly recent in the past twelve months, one of our rides, 
he started later than everybody, but there was some sort of tracking involved. So I was able to see where he was on course. And I knew he got past the last water table. And I picked up the water tables and everything else. And But I didn't go to where he was sort of thing, but I had tracking. Uh, but, I mean, he was still two hours out yeah. at our cutoff time or something like that. Yeah. It's like, I'm going home. Yeah. <laughs> I've been out of here long enough. <laughs> I marked course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going home, but I but since I did have tracking, I was able to keep an eye on him. And I, and I, I mean, we still left him food and beer and everything in his car was, and stuff like that. I was going to say, did you leave him some orange slices? We 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 left him barbecue and yeah. whatever else we had. So, yeah. um, but in turn, again, going back to it's Peter. Yeah, you know what he's capable. of. I know of, what he's yeah. capable of. Uh, if it was just some random. Jane Doe from Waco, Texas, that I have no idea what they're capable of or not capable of yeah. or something like that. Quite you would frank- have a lot more. I would, f- quite frankly, probably pull them off course. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, you've still got 20 miles to go. Well, why are you out here this late? Um, you know, yeah. we got to go home. <laughs> You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Basically. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So throw your throw your bike in the back of the truck. Yeah. Put put a garbage bag under you and sit in that passenger seat. Yeah. And we're going in God. sort of thing. But I've never had to do that. Again, laying down that line, it's like the expectation is you're going to be done by 6 o'clock in the evening. If you're not done, no time. Yeah. That has made a big effect on, we used to have a lot of people that were using our 100 milers to do their first century. Yeah. And not their first gravel century, their first century. Oh Yeah, period, yeah. And I get it. That's a huge accomplishment for you. But for you to take 20 hours to do that? Yeah. This isn't the time for you, this isn't the event for you to do your first century. Yeah sort of thing so but i think you know um i think there's something to that too though you know once somebody clicks off something like that the first time like i'm trying to remember and i don't want to i don't want to talk bad but i believe shannon did sansom 66 well or the one or you, unbound you, no i'm talking about unbound oh, back unbound. in the day okay i think the first time he did it it took him like 24 hours or something sure he came in way late in the early parts of the morning and it was just like okay now i know i can do it now let's reconfigure and like go out and and but knock some time off but see see, now you're you're narrowing that funnel there okay Mm -hmm. so there's one level of people they just want to accomplish it to begin with Mm -hmm. there's a that and of those, maybe the majority, but by no means the overwhelming majority, go okay. Let's take it down to the next level and figure out how to do that better. Yeah. Most people, oh, I've accomplished that. I'm, that, okay, I'm right. good. Right. So that's where you end up with 200 people that are catching their last win to to do the hundred miler. And then, or the 200 miler or whatever. Yeah. And then the next year you have 2,000 people that are trying to, to do that. And of those 200 people, the, the previous year, 
maybe only 50 come back to try to do it better. Yeah. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Sort of thing. So you're not, you're not. That's not the majority. I get it. I get it. And, and it begets even more of those type of people that are the next time around that are setting that as their big carrot. Yeah. So then you get this out of control thing of, and I quite frankly, I think it's part of what some of these bigger national level gravel events are up against right now. They're getting a lot of people that are showing up for those events that have no business riding in those events right now. But I, I think though, it, and maybe this is just me being devil's advocate, I think you have to give someone a venue to have a, a somewhat spectated, supported event to prove a distance like that for themselves for the first time. I because that part I don't, I don't disagree with. Well, what I'm saying is like, you know, that person that's doing their first century, whether it's gravel or not, is not likely to go out and do it on their own. They need that that no, but that they quasi support. A, mm -hmm. there is no quasi support at Unbound Gravel, for example. Yeah, but but there's still there's a public venue. You know what I'm saying? I no, I understand it's, that. It's not just me riding we're out saying, of my garage and nobody knows where I am. We're saying the same thing. What I'm saying is the difference is the progression in between. Yeah. The unba unbound, and we'll even just say the 100 mile, or not even the 200 mile. I think they even have a 50 mile option too. I'm not sure, but yeah. Let's Go ahead. keep it simple. Yeah, sorry. Unbound 100 miler mm -hmm. should not be somebody's first century ride. 100% agree. But that's what people are doing. That's my point. I mean, and if they want to do that, I guess it's, it's okay. But they don't because uh, they're hurting themselves and they're hurting other people. You have 4,000 people out there, 3,500 of which have no idea how to ride gravel, surrounded by people that don't know how to ride gravel. Well, so I'm going to bring up another point here. If it was only a 100-mile event, I would say you have a much bigger point. But the fact that you have people that are going to be out there for 200 miles, you know, time and distance is greater. So it's okay to have somebody that's going to take twice as long to do 100, you know. I'm not articulating that very well. But if it was only a 100-mile course, that was the longest option, and you had people that didn't necessarily need to be there, then... It would be a bigger deal to me than now you have a 200 mile option and you have people that are doing the 100 miler but in the same respect there's people on the 200 mile course that don't need to be there too oh, there, and i was one of those there's a myself ton, there's, there's, there, you know but i think i think i think you're you're missing what what i'm really it's it's not the physical capability of <laughs> going 200 miles yeah it's the basic bike handling skills of being on gravel. Yeah. The basic bike handling skills of, <laughs> you know, you don't you don't descend a blind hill, overlapping wheels with people all around you, no. sort of yeah. thing. You don't you don't go charging up a blind crest of a hill, on the left side of the road where Farmer Brown can be coming over the other side of the road, but. But even, uh, going back to just the basic capability of doing, let's say, 100 miles, my, my point is you, you, you get people that have never even ridden a bike on local paved trails over 20 miles, that their ultimate goal is to 
I'm going to go do my first 100 miles at Unbound Gravel or the Texas Chain Ring Massacre or whatever. Mm-hmm. My point is a better approach for them is something like the Hotter Than Hell 100 to be their first 100 miler as yeah. opposed to going to Emporia, Kansas. Does that dismiss that they want to go to Emporia, Kansas? And No, not, not at all. But some people need that carrot too. You some, know what I mean? Some people do, and and if they have a realistic idea of what that's about, I have no problem with that. Yeah. And I'm not saying this is the majority of people that are doing this, but it's a it's a large enough presence that it is problematic. Um, I mean, my the last big event I did was not even close to. The numbers that Mid South and Unbound and, and things like that do now, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I did Mid South in 2018, and you you have a lot of people showing up to Mid South that that don't that haven't ridden a hundred miles before. Sure, is it? Oh I God, mean, yeah. That, okay. I mean, that's a party pace kind of race, anyways, isn't it? I have not been to that event. I want to go, but that's not an easy answer there back to uh you know you can have you have people that are racing the rallies sure uh i mean it's it's the same thing when you know i mean it is a race mid-south yeah but it's okay but it's more of a party atmosphere (laughs) right uh, no it's i mean it's like everything gravel you probably have 20 percent of the riders that are competitive and 80 percent that are casual, mm-hmm. but even in that 80% of casual, you have 20% of those casual riders that are wanting to beat the other casual riders. Yeah. It, it just keep you get 80, 20, 80, 20, 80, yeah. 20. Um, but what happens in those environments, definitely saw it in Mid-South. Like, so I took the approach, I'm going party pace. I just want to ride my ride. I'm not worried about doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had no problem kind of starting in the back half of the, field and Mm -hmm. just riding my pace and doing my thing for whatever reasons you know 15 miles in i've still got blinds of racer dudes wheel to wheel plowing through on the left hand side on your left on your left on your left and they're they're blowing through all these party pace people that are scattered all over the road yeah and, and I'm in the middle of these party pace people, and they're literally just mm-hmm. riding side by side, chit chatting. And the, okay, that's fine. But we've got 5,000 people doing this yeah. spread out all over this is narrow. It, is there that many people? Matt, five, I'm sorry. I, what is the attendance of Mid South? I mean, roughly. Is it a, a plus over 1,000? It's over 1,000. Yeah. 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 That year it was over 1,000. The attrition rate's really high for that race, too. Depends on the weather. Yeah. Depends on the weather. Depends on if they make their rain seed take. But uh, that was eye-opening for me because none of my events had ever been that big. Mm -hmm. And I'd never ridden anything that big myself. Mm -hmm. And the pure idiocy. Mm -hmm. It was was idiocracy out there of people. And this was 2018. Mm -hmm. And it's gotten worse since then. Mm -hmm. And... I'm not saying that everybody that was out there was an idiot, but there it's just it's just like driving the there's enough you get on 114 going into Grapevine, how many idiots are you going to see? Is it everybody? No. But yeah. 
Just imagine a bunch of people on gravel roads. And it's gotten worse. And it's worse. Yeah. So would you say that Mid-South is the hotter than hell of gravel? No. No? No, no. It's better? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well... Now you're going to get me in trouble, aren't you? You try, you're, you're baiting me there. That's you, like you are the master baiter. My God, Brad. That's like asking, do these jeans make me look fat? <laughs> no, your ass makes you look fat. <laughs> jeans are irrespective. No, I I'm, I am a huge fan of the Mid South. I'm a yeah. huge fan of what Bobby does. He's yeah. um, he's uh, I. I in, from the way I look at things, from the national level gravel events, his strikes me as the most uh, true to spirit. Yeah. Yeah. For and I, I don't know what that term is, and I, I don't want to get caught up in. That's what I gather as well. Th- that spirit of gravel label, because mm-hmm. it, I mean that's 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 so vague, and there's there, there's, but I. As the national level events go, as the big events go, I, I think Mid South seems to still be the closest to to the that core. It's of, like BT Epic, like maybe. it's just such a great event, and the promoters, the guys that host it, genuinely care about everybody having a good time, and they make sure that everything I think it, is as good as possible. I th- no, I think I think it's it's it would be unfair to try to imply that other national level gravel events aren't doing that. I mean, I don't want it to come across. I'm not that, saying that either. That way at all. Um, I'm just saying some people have. Okay, it's like like going to someone's house for a party. You know, some people throw crazy awesome parties and they have all the perfect little touches. You know, and then sometimes you go to people's house for an event and it's like. That was fun, but it wasn't, like, spectacular, you know? It's just some people have the vision, and they have all of those little touches. They tick all the boxes, you know? Mm. I'm not saying one's... Well, I am saying one's better than the other. Every Italian restaurant's different, but they all serve the same dishes, generally speaking. Sure. Um, But what I may think is my favorite... Italian restaurant is going to be tremendously different from what you think is your That's fair. favorite Italian restaurant. Unless unless you're talking about Olive Garden. I would not be talking about <laughs> Olive Garden. <laughs> yeah, great transition to food. <laughs> Before we, if we're thinking about wrapping this up, I do have one thing along food that I just recently discovered that makes so much sense in retrospect and I was wondering if you realized this. Okay. Taco Casa. Yeah. Are you a Taco Casa fan? Most definitely. So I'm barely old enough to remember this but I just recently learned and I'm I'm probably going to mess this up a little bit but Taco Casa was started by one of the original partners in Taco Bell so in the very beginning of Taco Bell when there was like six or eight locations from what I'm remembering Dallas used to be one of the first ones so they started to take it in a different direction and they were going way more commercial and the one of the original guys said you know what I'm out I don't like what you guys are doing with this he took Taco Casa and kept everything exactly the same like, if you think about that, quote-unquote, fancy shredded cheese mm-hmm, that they mm-hmm, use, mm-hmm. 
the the service containers, everything. If you can remember back to when Taco Bell, so the all the aesthetics are exactly the same from the original Taco Bells too. That orange and yellow color, like you find retro, truly yeah, retro yeah, yeah, Taco I remember, Bell. I remember that. And that's before they transitioned. Taco Bell had that uh, almost like a, a turquoise and pink yeah. for for a little bit. Yeah. But so Taco Casa has just stayed the course this entire time. Okay. Whereas Taco Bell has gone through all of this where now they, you know, they don't even cook anything. They just heat everything in house right. and they right. have the dehydrated right. beans and all this. Taco Casa is still what Taco Bell was in the beginning days. Okay. And that's why Taco Casa is far superior. I just wanted to know were you aware of that? I was not aware of it and I don't dispute it. I'm trying. I don't think I ever ate at original Taco Bell. Um, that was just not what my family did. That's fair. I, I mean, we were, we were white bread Miracle Whip Midwest family. Well, you, you were still in what? What year did you get out of Missouri? Uh, I mean, we uh, moved to Farmers Branch when I was in second grade. Oh, okay. Then moved to Houston for a couple of years. And then Back up to Arlington through most of my teen years, uh, or at least till high school. Yeah. And uh, and when we were in Arlington, Taco Bell was definitely a thing. I mm -hmm. was definitely aware that Taco Bell was there. And that was in the orange and yellow days. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm think. That's what I'm saying. I think I remember that. I mm -hmm. don't think I I may have had Taco Bell food one time, but I don't think so. We never had any Mexican food. Yeah. I mean. Um, uh, extravagant for us was uh, Chili Mac, but we didn't even call it Chili Mac. It was called Spaghetti Red. Mmm, Spaghetti Red. <laughs> so, uh, that is awesome. A gourmet for us was mush burgers. Yeah. Uh, fried hamburgers smothered in Campbell's mushroom soup. Hell yes. But everything else was just basic beef and potatoes. Yeah. And maybe green beans and corn. Yeah. And white bread with butter. It's amazing how, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. There's so many restaurant concepts now that, that, you know, we often talk about technology. You know, if you took a cell phone back to 1980 and showed it to somebody, it would blow their mind. But if you, if you were able to tell people, like, in this area, there's going to be sushi restaurants, poke bowl restaurants, Mongolian right, restaurants. Right, right. You know, it's, it's so crazy how many different food concepts that were completely, like, not even something we would think of when we were kids are, are so prevalent and just, you know, well, that's where, commonplace. And that's where my perspective, I don't know how skewed it is. Because I, I look back on it and my assumption is that was just the small box I grew up in from a cuisine standpoint. That's all I knew. We all grew up in that box. I, but I, I thought that was just me, that it was that narrow. But maybe not. I don't no. know. I'm, I, I mean, mean, I remember uh, the first time I had a Kincaid's hamburger. I was absolutely blown away mm -hmm. that a hamburger... I mean, my perception of hamburger was McDonald's. That yeah. was it. That's all I knew for... <laughs> but... but I was uh, I was making money uh, mowing grass with the the guy the kid across the street with me and we're uh, what was, we're mowing what was the Nautilus Fitness Center back then that was our big commercial account in Arlington 
and his mom brought us lunch and she brought us a bag of a greasy bag of Kincaid burgers. Mm-hmm. Never, never seen such before in my life. It wasn't even a blip on the radar. No. And then until you bit into it's it, it's like, oh my God, this is this is the greatest thing ever. How does this work? Yeah. The reality is, once once, uh, once gonna, street tacos became a, a thing. That's true. They're all out the window as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Well, and that's kind of like the whole. I say uh, that I, I if I I'll do taco casa still. Yeah. Speaking of which, I'm probably going to have some taco casa after all this talking. But um, the it, I'm, I'm a chalada guy. Yeah. Chalada, oh, actually, chalada, no beans. But yeah. if the beans sneak in there, it doesn't break my heart. And there's something about the black olives. That yes. Does it for me. <laughs> yes. But the, um, you know, the same, in the same light as the street taco killed the, the mass produced taco kind of game, you know, gourmet burgers did the same thing, not as rapidly. But to Burger King and McDonald's and Wendy's and those places, you know, as soon as the well, do, you, do you remember when Wendy's was the gourmet burger? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you want to talk, you want to talk about a chain that has shit the bed. Mm-hmm. Once one Dave Thomas was that the guy? Mm-hmm. One, once he was no longer involved, once he was passed away, that place went to shit. Wendy, that girl, <laughs> that bitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a good ending point because we're. Hey, wait, wait! I have one more. One more. Piece, one more. One more piece that one I more. just learned. Okay. Back to fast food superfluous information. Arby's. Yeah. I just learned this the other day. Do you know where the name Arby's comes from? No idea. So it was R B. Okay. Roast beef. Okay. I it had never occurred to me. Now before. it's just like the FedEx arrow. Yeah. It's, once you once you see it, yeah. you never unsee it. I I never even contemplated it, and somebody pointed it out the other day. I was listening to another podcast, and I was like, "Oh my god!" All right. Well, let's go ahead and roll out the music here. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the latest episode of Shiftless. We come out on Mondays each week. Wait, the neighbors. Scare the kids, run the dogs, all that good stuff. Let folks know we're out.